Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. month away from the start of the regular season welcome into finsider radio my name is jake mendel that must mean i am joined by the one and only josh house josh how you doing today buddy i'm doing good man you know we're one step closer to the nfl season not anything else we could ask for at this point point. and you know before we get into everything uh, especially the fact that you know we are we are less than a month away from the start of the nfl season which you know seems incredibly weird you know we didn't have the hall of fame game we aren't gonna have any uh preseason games but before we get going, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Be sure to leave us a review. All that stuff helps us out so, so much. Keep a conversation going with us. We have people in our DMs at times asking us about the show. We love to get that kind of stuff. Tweet at us. You can find me on Twitter at jmendel31, jmendel94. I'm sorry. I keep messing up those two. Hout is at simply H-O-U-T-Z. And Josh, as we get into things, I think something that is most certainly worth talking about, especially as we're getting a month away, is Xavier Howard. Uh, news came out yesterday. I think it was Cameron Wolf of ESPN was the first one to report it. He is currently, or he was put on the COVID nineteen reserve list, which means one of two things: he is either has COVID nineteen or he's been in close contact with someone who has. And Josh, this is a uh, Howard. If he wants to be ready for for opening day here, which again, I mean, it it blows my mind every time I say it. It doesn't matter how many times I say it. We're less than a month away. Not only does he have to now get off of the COVID list, he has to also get off the unable to perform list because he's recovering from a knee surgery that he had in the tail end of 2019. Should we be concerned about Xavier Howard and and what he could potentially, if he's going to be there against the Patriots in week one? I mean, I think absolutely yes. I mean, this is kind of the thing with Xavier Howard, whether it's the injuries, you know, I mean, you can't really fault him for being placed in the COVID-19 list because that's just, I mean... We know that situation. You can't really fault him for that. But, I mean, besides that, you know, the health, the off-the-field stuff, that we, we won't even get into that. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding Xavier Howard. And when he is healthy, when he is out there on the field, he is truly one of the most dynamic, game-changing cornerbacks in football. You know, he led the NFL in interceptions a few years back. I mean, he is that talented of a player, but he has to stay healthy. And this has just been an issue with him throughout his entire career, you know, a lot of people speculate that he could have been traded this offseason, maybe to move up in the draft, you know, whatever it was. I, I myself thought maybe he's even how to get traded. And then when Byron Jones came in, that kind of, to me, kind of made it a little bit more of a, you know, a little bit more wiggle room there for the Dolphins with Xavier Howard. And this is something that we talked about in previous shows. And the same thing can be said with uh, the Igbenogany's drafting. So, I'm definitely concerned about Xavier Howard being on this list, but to me, the bigger concern, and I don't even know if this was something we were going to talk about, but is Eric Flowers still being on this list? Because I think it's been 
correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's been over a week now, and we know that the offensive line is, in my opinion, a bigger question mark and uncertainty than the secondary at this point. And Eric Flowers was that big offseason signing. He was going to be that starting guard. He was going to go out there and be that veteran presence on this offensive line. So him still being on that list is a bit concerning for me. Xavier Howard, he just needs to get healthy. He needs to prove to the staff that he's ready because otherwise he's going to be placed on, I guess, to be the, the pup list. And I guess I don't know how this season's going to play out. Maybe. Maybe they can bring it back, you know, before week eight, the way it's been in, in years past. But uh, definitely a concern for me. And if the Dolphins want to have that elite secondary, like a lot of people think they do have, Xavier Howard has to be a part of that. And I, I do want to talk about Flowers because you brought up a good point. But I, I want to sit on Howard here just for a quick minute. And, and you know, you're, you're right. We're not blaming Xavier Howard for being on the COVID list. Literally, it is damn near impossible as you see how quickly it, it can potentially spread to avoid it, uh, during, especially where you're staying, things like that. So I don't, I'm not trying to pin that on him. But are we reaching the point as, you know, Howard isn't, you know, He's still on the unable to perform list. Should we start to feel a little bit concerned about what he, you know, kind of brings to the table in terms of that uh, corner piece of the franchise? Now, the Dolphins signed him to a huge mega deal. Let me pull it up here. I believe it was seven, uh, $75 million with almost $40 million guaranteed. That was after a 2018 season where he led the league with, you know, seven interceptions. And he was balling out. You know, these aren't just like duck interceptions that he was catching you know these were some lasers that he really put himself into a position to succeed and I don't think either of us are going to say that the talent isn't there but when you look at his career uh he's played 16 games just once I think we can kind of take 2019 and put it on the shelf in the sense of um the Dolphins knew they weren't going to compete. They knew what they had in Howard. And maybe we wouldn't have seen as much out of players like Nick Needham, maybe a Steven Parker if Howard was available and Howard was playing. But I mean, someone who struggled with injuries for, for a long time in his career is still having these issues. And, you know, I think we'd may be making a bigger deal out of this if the Dolphins were more hamstrung with money. Like, say the Dolphins were still under Adam Gates and trying to compete. Say the Dolphins were a team that was floating between 7 and 9 and 9 and 7 and Howard was to miss 5 or 6 games. And we'd be sitting here saying, what if, what if, what if, you know, if he was there, we could have won 2 more games. And it doesn't, it kind of negates it when we sign someone like Byron Jones to upend Howard as the highest paid cornerback in the NFL. But I mean... Xavier Howard's still making a lot of money. He's still making $40 million guaranteed. Are, are we starting to feel a little concerned going into just the second year of this deal of how much he's going to be able to play? Again, this has nothing to do with being on the COVID list. It has to do more with, you know, there's just, it seems less likely as, you know, again, it, it's clicking to me more and more every day that I have to get my fantasy leagues going. I got to get everything going because the season, you know, 29 days away, whatever it may be, and Howard isn't out there practicing. We haven't seen, you know, him really play in, you know, almost a year at this point after playing only five games last season. And you have to wonder how much of this five-year contract is he actually going to be on the field for? I know it's kind of knee-jerk reaction, but I, I think it's definitely worth something talking about, worth talking about. Yeah, it is. And I mean, it's hard to not agree with what you're saying. I mean, it's absolutely a concern. The guys played in 40 games in four NFL seasons. I mean, uh, you can't really blame him for not getting on the field early as a rookie, you know, but just health durability is definitely a concern. 
And when he's on the field again, he's an elite player. So I think the Dolphins are absolutely sitting here wondering, you know, what the future entails for Xavier Howard. But first, you got to see him get healthy and get back on the field. And then from there, you determine, I mean, what if he gets hurt again? And you knock on wood and hope that doesn't happen because you built this secondary. You know, this defense is built on the secondary. I, I would love to see Byron Jones paired alongside Xavier Howard again. We say this is a Sammy, you know, Sam Madison, Patrick Sertan type secondary and just I think what it could do for this defense could be of immense value, but the Dolphins have to be concerned, and I think all Dolphin fans need to be concerned about Xavier Howard's health long term. And again, what this could mean could, could they? At this point, I mean, and this is the hardest thing about it: Xavier Howard is truly an elite corner when he's on the field. But even if you were trying to move on from him, you're not going to cut a player like this. So, what is his trade value then? I mean, and with the injuries and things like that, I mean. It's slowly starting to diminish. So the Dolphins are, you know, they're stuck in a rock and a hard place. You got this elite player who can't stay healthy. And when he's on the field, you know, he completely takes away that one side of the field. But now his trade value is starting to diminish. You know, he's making that large con. He has, he's, he's getting paid top five corner money, if I'm not mistaken. We know Byron Jones exceeded that limit and then Darius Slay. And the list will go on and on from here. But I think the Dolphins have to decide on Xavier Howard sooner than later. And that to me is a little bit scary because. Uh, you know, they might have to make a knee-jerk decision, just like just like we are now. So we don't know what Xavier Howard's health is, you know, heading into the 2020 season. We don't know how soon we'll see him on the field. But I do think the Dolphins are going to have to make a decision on him sooner than later. And to me, I, I am a little bit worried about, you know, whether or not he is going to be that cornerstone player like we, we all thought he was when they did sign that huge contract. There's no doubt about that. And I always – I was always – I'm still in the camp of don't trade Xavier Howard. Uh I remember one of the trades that was brought up potentially is uh, for Yonick and Guacque. I think I pronounced that right on the Jaguars, kind of like a one for one that type of thing. Um, but but the like you said, the secondary or the defense is built on the secondary, and that is kind of Coach Flores's baby in a sense. I know he was kind of a linebacker guy, but as you see what happened in New England, especially you look at that 2018 Super Bowl, you definitely see what the Dolphins are trying to do. And I think Howard, you know, is certainly should be a piece of that. And 2020 is a weird year. You know, everyone was talking, you know, last year about we're waiting for the 2020 draft. And now it's kind of next year is going to be the real deal. And, you know, worst case scenario, let's say if Howard worst, 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 worst case scenario, I, I think there's maybe a 2% chance of this happening misses the entire season. I think we could still go into next season. Very excited about what he brings to the table, despite having those injuries. I mean, when he's on the field, I mean, he's excellent. There's no sign of, well, he was banged up, yada, yada, yada. When he plays, he is dominant, top-tier cornerback, and you love to see it. So while we can kind of panic a little bit, and I don't get me wrong, I really want to see a secondary of Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. I think that would be a blast. I, I think we can wait a little bit, but it is concerning. I think we want to see our stars out there, and, and hopefully he gets off this list sooner rather than later. Um, kind of how it works or how I believe it has to work is you need to have a negative uh, test twice and uh, the guidelines have kind of said 14 days is when it, it can is the max where it can you know leave your system they're telling people to quarantine for 14 days and that brings us to the Eric Flowers thing where I mean you are so right and I we have a uh, you know the Dolphins are using their seventh offensive line coach in like seven years and to have someone like an Eric Flowers and this is why I kind of wanted to keep a uh, uh, Josh uh, Sutton around for a while. I wanted to keep Daniel Kilgore is because I think those vets are just as important as having a strong offensive line coach. You really need someone who's going to be 
you know, incredibly vocal. Uh, just yesterday, the Dolphins posted on Instagram, Twitter, everything. Happy birthday, Austin Jackson, their brand new left tackle, who just turned 21. These guys really need these voices, not only on the sidelines, not only in the locker room, but in the huddle. And I think Eric Flowers brings that to the table. And when you think about him being on this list, uh, they're... We're still learning so much about uh, the the virus here, and what we do know though is it impacts big dudes more than it impacts uh, smaller dudes. So you're a little concerned about Flowers. I hope he's doing well, and I, you know, first and foremost, I hope he makes a full recovery and is good to go. Uh, secondly, I mean, I hope we see him out in the field sooner rather than later. He signed a three-year, thirty million dollar deal, and I think everybody liked this move. I think everybody really liked all these different moves the Dolphins made. That were these two to three-year deals because it is a short-term vision in place as the Dolphins continue to build up this war chest. So uh, I do have a quote here from Brian Flores here about the Dolphins changing their offensive line coach right again. And now they have Steve Marshall, uh, who is going to be under Changeli, new offensive coordinator. And this was from Coach Flores. Uh, Steve, obvious, uh, this is, you know, full quote here. Steve, obviously, we went with offensive coordinator Changeli. I thought that was important to go with someone who is very familiar with that style of play. That played a role in hiring Steve. He's a good coach. He's a very good teacher of O-line play. He and I, I had a good feeling. I had a good vibe when we had him in our interview process. He works well with Chan. He works well with offensive staff. He's a good coach. He's a tough coach. He asks a lot of his players. So far, it's been good. Obviously, it's only been a walkthrough. We can only evaluate what we've done so far. So far, we are pleased with that. As far as the padded practices, this is going to be the least amount of work across the league for all teams for at least... For the least amount of practices, no preseason games in NFL history. I think everyone knows and understands that. So the Dolphins have a lot of work to do with a lot of uh, with with little opportunity to really kind of get the pads on and, and try everything out. And I, Flores is one to kind of he he walks the line of coach speak in terms of you know we're gonna get our less best eleven players out there. We play to win the game. All that kind of stuff. Whatever questions you ask coaches, they're gonna kind of hit you with the same answers. But you know he understands too that this is going to be a brand new situation with so many young guys on that offensive line and a brand new coach coming in. However, I think what really stands out here is how well the coaches are working together. I mean the whole time under Adam Gase, the whole debacle we had with. Uh, Forrester at offensive line coach. Nobody was talking with each other. Everybody was in their unit doing their own thing. And and that's just not how you play uh, football in the NFL. There's 11 guys in the field. There's 11 guys in the huddle. There's 53 guys on the sideline. And they all have to work together. You can't have coaches doing their own thing, teaching their own way, preaching their own way, and have that really work in the NFL. So when you hear that they're working well at Chan Gailey, they kind of understand the message. They kind of understand what they want out of each other. That is uh, optimistic to hear. But I mean, too... Uh, Eighth offensive line coach in eight years, something along that line. I don't know why I keep going with eight, but but the Dolphins, we know how poorly they struggle with offensive line. I don't think this necessarily means they're going to come in and be strong this year from working together, but it is a building block for the future. I think we're we got to be pretty content and or if not happy with. Yeah, and you mentioned coaches going off and doing their own thing. I think that's the perfect segue into our next little conversation about Steelers safety Minka Fitzpatrick and we all saw what happened yesterday I believe it was a Bleacher Report writer by the name of Tyler Dunn and the story it gave a lot of Dolphin fans something to talk about throughout the day and I'm going to pull up the quote real quick here the article says this finally in August Fitzpatrick confronted Flores about it nothing too serious he just asked if he could get some coverage reps in to show the new staff what he was capable of 
The trial lasted all of one practice, Fitzpatrick says, and he was given barely any coverage work at all. That's when Fitzpatrick had enough. He admits went rogue. He wanted coaches to see it, even though they were refusing to. So he up and left those hand-to-hand combat drills and jogged across the field to one-on-ones. Fitzpatrick says, they were frustrated at me for doing that, but I was like, I'm not trying to sit here and punch a bag all day. So as this story unfolds, you know, we find out kind of a little bit of the behind-the-scenes look at why this trade went down. And I know Minka Fitzpatrick is a player that a lot of Dolphin fans love to slander. You know, we can... We're all upset with, with him. The guy got drafted. He, he was a high draft pick, a guy that was 100% character. You know, Nick Saban joked that it was, he was like his son, and this was just this what everyone thought was his model citizen, a guy that was going to go out there and do exactly what the coaches asked. We know he bounced around throughout his rookie season, and the biggest thing with Minka ever since he was drafted was he preached versatility and how he had no problem doing this or that. And then last year happened, and we know he, had, he was a little bit upset with having to play strong safety at his weight. We know his mom spoke out publicly, so there's a lot to digest here. But you can't be upset with the Dolphins for moving on from Minka Fitzpatrick. And I will sit here and say this. A lot of people have issues with Minka. A lot of people – and it's funny. You brought up the Xavier Howard thing, how he just doesn't let balls fall in his hands. You know, like he makes some legit interceptions. That's the complete opposite, if we're being honest than what we saw from Minka Fitzpatrick last season. But he is a game changer, and a lot of Dolphin fans don't want to admit that, but the Dolphins' secondary would be a hell of a lot better if Brian Flores and Minka Fitzpatrick could just work this out and let him play free safety and be that guy in the back. But that is not how Brian Flores' defense works. And when you're a guy that sits there and you, in college, you're Nick Saban's puppet or pet, and you know, your teacher's pet, and you go to the NFL, he says it isn't about losing, but losing had to play a factor in that. But just go out there and do your job. Minka Fitzpatrick didn't do that to just go away, you know, walk up from hand-to-hand combat drills and go over in one-on-one coverage and just take things. You know, that is one of those players that doesn't belong in Miami. So as much as I do believe that he is this elite talent, the Dolphins would be much better if he was here. Good riddance. I think we need to put a, uh, you know, we got to close the door on this Minka Fitzpatrick thing because this is going to be a petty back and forth until, you know, he retires or we see what Austin Jackson becomes. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think the Dolphins are better off without Minka and being that, you know, the cancer in the locker room. But to, to hear this story, it, it definitely sheds some light on a situation that a lot of Dolphin fans truly didn't know uh, why it came about. So so what were your thoughts about this Tyler Dunn article and, and your thoughts on Minka Fitzpatrick as a whole? Uh, Josh, do you, do you live on a dead-end street? I don't. All right, so you, you <laughs> you'll say that there's two ways to get to your house then. I mean, obviously, there's probably a lot more, but there's two ways to get onto your street. There's two ways to get to your house. Just like there's two ways to get to your house, there's two ways to successfully coach a football team. Um, One thing that Teddy Bruschi is always the one that comes out uh, to me about this, uh, when he talks about how Bill Belichick coaches. And I remember there was an offensive tackle on the Eagles, Lane Johnson, I'm sorry, uh, talking about how the Patriots don't have fun, right? Um, and then Teddy Bruschi came out and said, you know, we won. We, we won a lot, and that is fun. And you think about how Belichick coaches, and that is how Brian Flores coaches. And then you think about how Mike Tomlin coaches. Mike Tomlin, also a very successful coach. I think a lot of people would put him in the top five coaches in the league, if not top ten. More of a player's coach, you know? Um, you have Antonio Brown doing live Instagram videos, and and Tomlin as someone who can really wash that all over. And what Flores does compared to what Tomlin does is different for what Minka Fitzpatrick wants. I think Tomlin kind of said to Minka, all right, we'll let you do what you want to do. We know what you can do. Where Brian Flores, his system is more, 
in order for me to have trust in you, you need to have trust in us. And for Minka to say, like, I wanted to show them what I can do. Dude, you played at Alabama for what? Three years. You were on the Dolphins last season. There is plenty of film out there about what you can do. They know what you are capable of. Just because you're not doing a specific drill doesn't mean the players know you can't do it, right? What the what the Dolphins were doing is hoping Minka can go into any position saying, yes, coach, I will do this, and you will be rewarded with whatever. You, like, you want to play free safety? Do all this. Prove to us that we can trust you, and then we'll put you at free safety. Because right after the quote you mentioned where he's talking about, I wanted to show them what I could do, which, again, to me, ludicrous. Ludicrous. Of course, we the coaching staff knows what you can do. They're scouting. There's all this film about you. What you can do is you're, they're quite capable of. But you're going to be in positions where you have to do hand-to-hand combat. You're going to be at the line at times. And the Dolphins need you to be ready to do that. They need you to be able to do everything, especially as a safety they like to mix guys up. We saw it with Eric Rowe. We saw it with Bobby McCain. You're going to blitz sometimes. You're going to cover a, uh, you're going to cover a tight end sometimes. Sometimes you're going to be the deep safety. You need to be able to do everything, and that's what the Dolphins were preaching. The following little blurb in that story uh, that Minka also sounded like he was blaming the Dolphins is, oh, after they gave me what I wanted at free safety, that wasn't good enough because he says now he's playing with – safeties that he's never that were signed three to four days earlier cornerbacks that were signed three to four days earlier and that is 100 percent true but to use that as an excuse too these are all very talented football players i know the communication thing is a struggle but i mean if you want to reach the peaks you gotta go through the valleys you gotta struggle with the dolphins if you want to get there like everybody do that even before they traded laramie tunsil because that was kind of a huge uh also part of the piece they made all these roster moves. Kenny Stills is gone. Laramie Tunsil's gone. And all of a sudden, I'm playing with guys in the secondary I've never seen before. That's going to happen. You're going to have to play with people who are signed because of injuries and all these other things that happened in the league. I just think there were a lot of excuses made here on Minka's part, and, and you kind of hit the nail on the head where we could kind of go back and forth about this of who's who. At the end of the day, the Dolphins got good value for a very good safety, and that's what it is. And Brian Flores coaches his specific way. Mike Tomlin coaches his specific way. It just so happens that Minka Fitzpatrick fits better with Mike Tomlin's way. It is what it is, and I think it's something we kind of deal with. It's frustrating as all this kind of goes. You kind of wish a lot of this would be kept behind those uh, locker room doors because it's only fueling, fueling the fire of Minka sounding as, you know, a little whiny at times. And, and like I said, he's a great player. He's young. He's still learning, which, I mean, I think at this point in his career, I mean, he got what's best for him. He's going to get, he's with a coach who's going to be like, go do your thing. We know you're good. I'm, you know, players first. Where I'm not saying Brian Flores is bad to his players by any stretch, but he needs to see that you, his players trust him. And as a result, he will trust you, and that's why you know he has been on a you know a defense that's well outside of last year, you know with all the issues, that's been one of the best in the league because of how they play. I mean, Minka, you don't want to do this hand-to-hand combat. Well, there's going to be plays where you have to do that, and then if you get beat once, all of a sudden the coaching staff doesn't trust you, and we're back to square one. Where you know Mike Tomlin, if you know maybe you get beat in his defense it's going to be you know a you know a tap on the helmet saying all right we'll get him next time learn from it where that's not really going to be the case for Flores it is what it is um I hope Austin Jackson you know comes and becomes the left tackle equivalent of what Minko Fitzpatrick would be because that'd be incredible but I think at this point I very much still like Miami Dolphins the secondary the Miami Dolphins have and in the passing NFL we have right now teams are going to 
score touchdowns and teams are going to produce yardage. I don't care how great your secondary is. You're not going to hold every quarterback two for 12 and 100 yards or, or some ridiculous stat line. People are going to get beat. So you we, we could kind of have the debate here on where can your ceiling be? You have Byron Jones. You have Xavier Howard. Eric Rowe looked great. Does Aminka Fitzpatrick making your defense from an A- minus to an A really, really change that much in terms of being near the top of the league in, in defensive rating against the pass, yada, yada, yada? I'm not necessarily sure it does. Am I saying that I don't want Aminka Fitzpatrick on my team? No, absolutely not. But, but you reach a point where... I don't know if what I'm saying is making sense, but in the passing NFL, everybody is going to get theirs. So I don't know if, like, adding Minka Fitzpatrick to this already stacked defense makes it even more stacked or, you know, changes opposing uh, quarterbacks from being able to get 260 yards a game to 280. It is a big deal that we don't have that talented player on the defense because you want all the talent you can. But in the grand scheme of the defense, I'm not sure that, you know, after the signings of Byron Jones, we're really hurting for someone like Minka Fitzpatrick back there. Yeah, you're you're 100% right. And I think what you got to remember is with these young players that, you know, let's be honest, Minka Fitzpatrick's one of the top safeties in football. He's going to get paid like the top safety in football. So, I mean, at some point, these young rookies on these, you know, nice deals are eventually going to get paid money. And the Dolphins, they they had to get rid of Minka Fitzpatrick. But it, it reminds me of the whole Laramie Tunsil thing. If, if they didn't value that left tackle... And yes, they got a, a king's ransom for that. They didn't value that, and they didn't want to pay that guy because of X, Y, and Z. You know, they probably weren't going to pay Minka Fitzpatrick. And it all goes back to this last coaching staff. You know, Minka Fitzpatrick was not a Brian Flores player, a, a, and and who knows how much say Chris Greer had. You know, me if, if Brian Flores was here, they probably would went with Derwin, Derwin James, like a lot of the Dolphin fans truly wanted. So I I think Minka Fitzpatrick again, great player. And just to round out all this Minka talk, we I had to bring up this quote from. Kyle Krabs, and I think he pulled this from the same Tyler Dunn article, but it said, Fitzpatrick told reporters at the end of the 2020 season, it doesn't matter to me where he lines up as long as he's helping the Steelers win games. This is the exact quote. I just like going out there, making plays, and being where I need to be. And last year where I needed to be was in the middle of the field, he said. It worked out fine. This season, just keep doing what we need to win games. If that's playing corner, linebacker, whatever that may be, that's what I'm going to do. So, I mean, <laughs> I sit here and I say I have no hard feelings. And then you read something like that and it's like, what are you doing? Like, you say these things just to say it. So, it, the wedding's over. We got divorced with Minka Fitzpatrick. Good riddance. Let's just hope that the left tackle the Dolphins drafted is going to be, like you said, an equivalent to a Minka Fitzpatrick. An equivalent to, I want to say Larry Tunsil, but I don't think that there's very many rookie tackles coming in the NFL that can truly hold their own against, you know, Laramie Tunzel because he was an elite prospect. He probably was going to be that number one overall player in the draft if it wasn't for that the quarterback. So I hope Austin Jackson turns out to be, you know, a Minka Fitzpatrick because, like you said, he's 20. He just turned 21. He's just old enough to gamble. He's just old enough to, to go to the bar and, and drink. It's crazy. So we'll see how it plays out. But by Minka Fitzpatrick. Good luck with the Steelers. I hate the Steelers anyway growing up here in Pennsylvania. So hopefully you don't have that success that you – hoped you were you were going to when you left Miami it's over it is what it is and I think the Dolphins is the right thing moving on and Mink is going to get his and the Dolphins they're gonna have to go out there and get theirs this is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay hello I'm Chip Murphy here to get you ready for the big tournament tonight we'll break down we break down who will be cutting cut what are you two doing sorry Chip 
Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hidden. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And two, we'll build off this because uh, Jerome Baker did a Ask Me Anything on Reddit yesterday, and he had a, he had a pretty great quote about Flores. And it is one of those things, like, I, I'm going to kind of stick with what Teddy Bruschi said, like, Yes, the practices are hard. Yes, you know, it's challenging, but that is what you need to win. I mean, he said that over and over, and I mean, that's a reason why the Patriots have won more than, you know, anybody in the last 20 years. And, you know, Dolphin fans are probably sick of me hearing that, but there, there's a reason behind it because you kind of hear the Belichick, you know, type of things from uh, players talking about Coach Flores. This, this is what Jerome Baker had to say. Uh, Coach Flo is a unique coach. What I mean by that is that he learns you, the players, and he tries in any way to get you to play at the maximum level. If it's challenging you with words, if it's challenging you mentally, he does everything to get you to be the best player you can be. He does a great job establishing trust with guys. Once you establish that, you can really push guys to their limits so they can be their best. I really appreciate that about Flo. He does a great job of that. I think about... Kenny Stills, um, and, and was it Jay-Z, or he was playing some music uh, just to kind of poke at Kenny Stills. And, you know, none of the reports after that was saying that it was jabs. This is Flores making all his players mentally tough. It's, football is a very, very tough sport, especially at the top level. I mean, you see what the Dolphins did last year with, with a bunch of guys who, on a different year, probably wouldn't be on an NFL roster. We heard about Everybody's saying, you know, how the Dolphins need to be fined. Coach Flores needs to be fired. Steven Ross needs to sell the team because of the atrocity the Dolphins are putting on the football field. But then they started winning. They, they won five games. They were in a bunch of other games. And, and everyone was all of a sudden talking about, oh, you know what Flores did with nothing. That's the difference between a, a an okay team and a great team. Just because there's only what? 32 rosters in the NFL doesn't mean there's only 32 rosters of worthy players. I mean, coaching staff is the different. All these guys are so talented. They're such special athletes. And it's up to the coaching staff to make these special athletes be 2 to 5% better than all the other teams in the league. That is the difference. And that is the difference from being a quote-unquote in-the-hunt team to being a consistent threat in the playoffs. You know, you see it in Andy Reid. You see it in Bill Belichick. You see it in Mike Tomlin, right? There's no really surprise here in this formula. And and this from Baker, I mean, is exactly what you want to hear. And you kind of understand the Minka thing. He couldn't handle that. You know, he was challenged by Brian Flores, and he didn't want to land up to the challenge. And, you know, you kind of hear good things like this. And you kind of think about Jerome Baker last year. We thought it was going to be his year, right? He thought he was going to blow up. And hopefully that's this year because, I mean, you love to hear this thing. The stuff. I mean, you hope that Raekwon McMillan, Jerome Baker, the two Ohio State guys are those dudes for years to come at linebacker for the Miami Dolphins, especially on the inside. And, you know, once you have people buying into the Brian Flores system and saying good things about him, 
it usually kind of means that their time is coming. They're going to break out because they trust the coach. Now it's time the coach is going to trust them and they're going to make special things happen. Yeah, and you know, it's kind of cliche. Everyone always throws out the whole culture thing, but that's kind of what this is. You know, Brian Flores came to Miami. He's bringing his own culture. He's bringing what he learned up there in New England, being there for many years. He's bringing that attitude now down here to South Florida, and you just got to love this because I remember last year, I forget which game it was, but I still remember Jerome Baker trotting off the field, and I think Brian Flores was right there, and he was chewing his he was chewing his ass out. And, I mean, that's what you love to see from, from Coach Flo. You know, he has that go out there, do your job type thing. He's hard on his players. He expects a lot out of them, but he loves them. And, you know, he is what you want in an NFL head coach. And you hear these things from Jerome Baker. I don't know that we ever heard players speak out and say the things that we hear about Brian Flores after one year that we heard. You know, I don't think anybody ever said those things about Adam Gase or, you know, the coaches that came before him. To me, we haven't had a leader, a true leader, you know, yes, there was Dan Campbell, but even before that, it was Tony Sperano. I don't know that the Dolphins had that true coach in place that you just, you know, you, you wanted to run through a wall for. And I think that the players want to run through a wall for Brian Flores, and I know the fans do. So I love to see this. I, I think it was nice that, you know, the Dolphins even let Jerome Baker go on Reddit. And, you know, I'm sure he answered questions or he just spoke out, whatever it was. Pretty awesome stuff, and you love to hear it. You hear this from all the players on the roster. Except, again, like when we talked about Megan Fitzpatrick, I think he's the only one who, who hasn't had great things to say. Um, we're going to move on to Brian Flores. He had a quote that was very interesting to me, and I made a joke that it was going to be this new reality series, Quarantine Quarterbacks. And he was asked a question on whether or not him and his coaching staff, the front office, et cetera, have had discussions on whether or not to quarantine quarterbacks this season the way some other NFL teams have. And he said this, We've looked into really every possible scenario. That being one of them. A lot of our meetings are on Zoom right now, so everyone, from that standpoint, is in quarantine. So in a lot of ways, it takes care of itself. But yeah, we've thought about that. We've talked through that scenario as well as a plethora of other scenarios. I think we've got a plan in place that we feel good about. So to me, it's I think like he said, you're quarantining all these guys. You know, you're doing as little as you possibly can face-to-face and type of contact like that and you're trying to do all this thing virtually and socially distancing and and doing the things right that's going to allow this 2020 season to take place so quarantining quarterbacks absolutely you know they should have a quarterback ready you know you go and you get a hotel or you're wherever you are and you see this you know in case of emergency break glass and you know that's kind of what you have to think the Dolphins should do this year and I don't know if you do that with Tua Valoa because he is that young player he needs to be out there he needs to get those reps but would, would you do that with a Josh Rosen? Would you would you maybe get this other, you know, un, you have to have a player that can, you can say, can go out there and start, has NFL experience. I would I would throw Josh Rosen in quarantine. You know, I'd throw, I'd throw him in a isolated location and tell him, look, like, you come to practice, you stay here, and if we need you during the season, we'll break the glass in case of an emergency. So I think it's an interesting concept. I think a lot of teams are going to embrace that, and it probably is the only way we're going to see a truly competitive and successful 2020 season. You know, I think we should just title this podcast the uh, uh, Brian Flores Appreciation Pod because, yes, this is an interesting idea, but um, I think it was a couple weeks ago we started hearing um, COVID-19 plans. Like, every team had to get a plan approved. And, you know, every team in the NFL, it's a multi-billion dollar business. Everyone's going to have a good plan. That's not the issue. It's getting your players to stick to it because it's going to be hard. It is going to be incredibly, incredibly hard to follow these rules. However, the discipline that Brian Flores is trying to instill that we hear from Jerome Baker that, you know, we've we've heard nonstop, 
that is going to be the difference. I think that is going to be the difference between the teams that make the playoffs and the teams that are really floundering throughout the season is how much they can, you know, really stay disciplined and follow the guidelines that they set in place. And whether it's quarantining the quarterbacks, I don't necessarily know what specifically that means because I have a hard time seeing how the Dolphins are going to kind of keep a quarterback in their back pocket, whether it's Josh Rosen. I mean, they need to get reps. I would I would rather keep them all together and, and risk them, uh, whatever it may be, if that that's what it's going to be, instead of not getting reps and being out there with their guys. I think that's a hard situation to be in because I think, like I said, football's a team game. I mean, you can't just throw someone who you haven't seen in a month under center and, and say, all right, let's go do this thing because I, I just feel like that's not how football works. So that is kind of a tough situation to be in. But, I mean, after just ev- everything we hear about Brian Flores as a leader, and, and like, there's there's two things that, that or two different things that, that we could kind of look at this by. How people talk about Brian Flores isn't how people talked about Joe Philbin, who was also viewed as a strong leader coming in. But what we discovered about Joe Philbin is that he was a parent. He wasn't a leader. He would tuck people into bed. He would make sure everybody is in their room at a certain time. He was a chaperone. The chaperone on the field trip. (laughs) Exactly. That that is what a chaperone does. A leader doesn't need to go check that everyone's in the room because he knows damn well if you're not in your room, fines. You know, you're going to be suspended. Whatever it's going to be, he is going to make sure you guys are on the straight and narrow. So I, the... I don't know about quarantining the quarterbacks or keeping someone away from the team just in case. If all these guys want to be out there on the field, I think they're also going to be headstrong enough to keep themselves safe and healthy. I know, again, there's you You could do everything right and things can still go wrong, and they'll deal with that when that comes. But I think that's a situation we're just going to have to deal with in 2020, man, because it's weird, and hopefully, you know, this time next year we'll just be talking about how we just – got back from training camp and everything we learned from down there covering the team. Yeah, and I think it's all kind of just the way we're translating this quote because we don't truly know what that quarantining quarterbacks means, you know, because right. to, to me, though, you're right. You want to get them all out there, and they, they need to all get those practice reps. But then what happens? You know, if to, to me, the biggest thing that's going to – it's just so – you're right. 2020 is an uncertain season, and we'll just leave it at that. Yesterday, there was some big news from the college ranks. We know the Miami Dolphins, how important draft prospects are to any NFL team. But yesterday, the Big Ten and Pac-12 have canceled. We don't know if other conferences will follow suit. They say they're going to push it to the spring, but then that that you know that is just a whole other monster affecting the NFL draft and, and everything else. And then the, these kids have to play two consecutive seasons. So there's still a lot of uncertainty surrounding college football's future. But we do know the Big Ten and Pac-12 have canceled. I think we're going to talk about how this affects not only the draft process, but how this might affect the the NFL season. Because now you don't have college games on Saturday. Do those Thursday night games move to to Saturday? Are we going to see some of that? So what are your thoughts on the Big Ten and Pac-12 being canceled? Personally, I think it's the right decision. I don't think that these kids should even be going back to school, let alone going out there and playing football. But to me, it seems a little bit backwards because I saw one of the Ohio State players tweet out, you know, you canceled the season, but now you're telling us you can come back to campus where there's 40,000 kids and, and stay on campus and, and you know, train and, and, and work out. It just doesn't make sense to me. I think you have to cancel the college football season, but I also think you got to cancel, you know, everything got to be virtual in 2020. I think that's the best route moving forward. What are your thoughts on college football and the potential of a cancellation this season? You know, Trevor Lawrence is, is leading this uh, movement of hashtag we want to play. And right. <laughs> 
And I'm not sure that's like the best slogan you want because, of course, everybody wants college football to happen, right? Everybody, you know, wants them to play. Every football player wants to play. Uh, the the point he did make that I I really thought was smart though was that he said that on campus, especially in the, the NFL or the college football facilities, they'll be more safe than they will in will in some of the places that you know are dealing with outbreaks and things like that. That is the best point I saw. Uh, but I do think everything should be virtual, uh, and I do think you know canceling the season is is probably the right thing to do, especially when these kids are you know they're not making money off it. The NFL is going forward; all professional sports are going forward because it's a billion. There's so much money involved, right? And you know, there we could go about how much money involved is in college football, yeah. But the people who kind of make everything go aren't getting paid. You know, we could talk about well, they get free tuition. Come on, don't give me that. But then moving to the uh, other side, I, I do think, you know, we want to stay safe. I understand they want to play. I understand what Joe Burrow said in the sense of, you know, he wasn't slated to be a first-round pick, let alone the number one overall pick in the draft before last season. And then he had the opportunity to play. And, and you know, he said something along the lines of, you know, I might be looking for a job right now if the last, last year didn't happen. And that might be a little bit of hyperbole. I'm sure he probably would have been drafted. But but he has a point of, you know, so much changes in a single year and get, missing out on the opportunity to play is very tough. It is challenging. But you are going to miss a lot of, you know, special players. I wonder, too, if maybe the, the issue with the spring season is all of a sudden you're asking the guys to play in spring and then in fall. And that is incredibly unfair. So you wonder if, if they play in the spring, do you hold them out if they're draft picks? Do they do a special league like maybe the XFL picks in these players and then they sit their rookie year in the NFL? I don't know. I mean, this is something where the only way we're going to get through it is just kind of letting time go by and, and see what develops. But, I mean, nobody is against them playing. It's just, you know, we want to keep everything safe. The you know, I mean, we can kick and scream all we want, but the best way to get this over is just to kind of follow these guidelines and, and go through it. And then, you know... Let's talk about the NFL season here for a second. When you mentioned games on Saturday, Sunday, um, I hope the the set Thursday game doesn't move. Let's just inject all the football in we can. I think it was in the 1960s. They did like the AFC on Saturday and the NFC on Sunday or something like that. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I think that'd be really cool. I just think we'd have to be careful with with taking in that much football about how much uh, how many soda pops we drink how many chicken wings we eat in a given weekend because man if you're giving me two days of nfl football man you're gonna have to check on me because i won't move leave the couch and that is gonna be incredibly unhealthy because that that'd be you know one way to help us get through all this is everyone stay indoors you got football on four days a week net football you got your drafts you got everything that comes with it and, and that seems a little bit exciting all things considered to me yeah my sofa would definitely have an imprint on my body <laughs> just you know with all there's all sorts of just crumbs and stuff, and uh, it, it would be awful. But I think you brought up the, a great point with the we want to play thing because it's not people saying we don't want to see college football. Everyone, everyone wants to see college football. You know, everyone wants things to go back to normal, but it's just not going to happen overnight, and we just have to adapt. And the hardest thing is, you know, they don't have history to kind of lean on. Usually have, you know, okay, well, in the past we did this, and, and this happened then. We don't have that right now. You know, there's lots of uncertainty surrounding everything. I know people always make it about politics, and it has nothing to do with that. You know, for me, 
I don't think it's safe. And the safest thing is just to have everyone just remain at home the way they've been doing things, the way we've all become accustomed to. You know, unfortunately, over the last six months, we become accustomed to to being on a – if you have to, you know, if you're working, you, most people are doing it from home. You know, these kids, they were they were doing schooling from home. Why change that? You know, why risk it? Why have those kids go back to school and have the potential of this thing to even, you know, become worse than it already is? It just doesn't make sense. And for me, that's the safest thing for the students, which then means, you know, the safest thing is to cancel the season. But again, obviously, we would all love to see college football happen this year. I just don't know that that's going to happen. And another thing we have to think about is you mentioned these top draft picks. Before this even came out, you know, a lot of top draft picks were already concerned about their well-being because this isn't something, and we mentioned with Eric Flowers, that's just, okay, you feel like shit for X amount of days. This has an everlasting effect, and it it could potentially, you know, play a factor in these young kids and some of these top prospects' professional careers. So I think – Everyone just needs to do its best and just uh, as much as we want it, as much as even college football is going to lose money. I forget which coach it was came out and said, or maybe it was a director. They, they said, you know, this could affect us. We could lose hundreds of millions of dollars. It's like, okay, so you're going to lose that much money, but you can't pay these players. It all goes back to paying. If these players got paid to play, they would probably be out there as well. So it, it's an uncertain situation. It's very unfortunate, but, you know, it's the times that were dealt. It's the cards that were dealt, as Brian Flores said a few weeks ago, and the Dolphins just got to do their best to, you know, evaluate these prospects. Scouts are normally out on the road right now, you know, scouting some of these players, and it's just not happening. It's going to be an uncertain time, and it's unfortunate, but I think it's what's best. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll wrap We have some Chan Gailey quotes I want to talk to in a second, but I'll just wrap it up with this. Josh, you were just kind of watching me playing. Uh, I, I like my card games. I'm a big-ass nerd. Um Called Hearthstone, and what what's kind of appealing to me about card games is no matter how good or bad your hand is, you can still lose. Um, and the sense of that is, hey, if you're if you play poorly, you can lose, but if you just dealt a bad hand, you can also lose. But that doesn't mean if you're dealt a bad hand, you can't you know make the most of it or create it into something different or or finagle your way into a situation that is better. So I think that's what's kind of the key here is to use the hand we're dealt and not just fold it and, and try to get another hand in a year and waste all this time. I think we need to use the hand we were dealt, play it, play it smartly and and move forward. But that's enough about that. I'm I'm sorry everyone who's eye rolling themselves into another galaxy from hearing more uh, uh corona talk, but I mean it is what it is. Uh we apologize for that. So a couple Chan Gailey quotes. Um I didn't take away too too much from when he first met with the media. I think it was Saturday. Uh, Saturday, yep. But Chan Gailey, I mean he was the Dolphins coordinate offensive coordinator back in two thousand, time with the Jets time with Buffalo and back in Miami. So one of the questions he was asked is what is your process uh, thought process as offenses continue to evolve? Gailey's response is there's two things. One thing we try to stay balanced. Keep that in mind. Fantasy football folks. I want a balanced offense. I want us to be able to run the football and throw the football effectively. That's really big in the way I see offensive football. And the next thing to me, you adapt to the players you have. Oh my God. Do I love to hear that instead of, you know, dealing with Adam Gase. You have to adjust your schemes and see who you have, and that sometimes is even on a week-to-week basis. And this year, that may be more important than ever, is to have a system in place that you can adjust to make plays to players that you have to be successful. That's what I've always tried to be about, is putting them in a position to be successful. Man, that's music to my ears. Especially when you hear about, you know, uh, Alan Hearns opting out, Alan Albert Wilson opting out. I mean, you know, Adam Gates. 
We didn't have our best players. We faced a better team, blah, 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 blah. Chang is already trying to put together a system where he's having guys. You see them bring in Chester Rogers, another slot guy. Uh, they're already trying to prepare what they have. They're already looking at the guys they have, and that's exciting for Chang That's exciting uh, to see that they're going to put a system in place that maybe we'll have guys not on the defense yelling out our plays every week because it's so obvious what the Dolphins are trying to do. That is pretty exciting to me, but obviously nobody's going to come out and say, uh, yeah, we're going to be basic and that's going to be it. Everyone's going to know what we're doing. That's just kind of what I see there, but it does have a better feel than Gase, Gase did for a few years. That's for sure. Yeah. And thank God the Adam Gase, you know, era is over in Miami. Another quote from Chan Gailey, and of course he was asked about the Dolphins' rookie quarterback, Tua Tungvaluwa. He was asked, how would you describe your role in his development? Chan Gailey came out and said, I don't know how to answer that exactly. He's going to develop quickly or slowly depending upon how much he grasps the offense and how quickly he comes and how he develops as a football player. And a lot of that's based on health. So there's a lot of factors in there. I hope I have a big impact on it, but you don't ever know about that. You have to see how fast and how well a player comes on, and then you see what he does. We'll treat him just like we treat everybody else. We'll try to put him in a position to be successful when the time comes. So, I mean, he, there's a lot there. You know, he mentions the health, and I do think a lot of us understand the biggest hurdle for Tua Tungvaluwa to become that, that that quarterback that we've needed for 20 years is his health. You know, he, he's shown that he can play in this system. He's shown that he is a great fit for what the Dolphins want to do. He just needs to stay healthy, and he has all the tools to be that quarterback that we've all wanted for so many years he just needs to stay healthy he then goes on to mention you know he doesn't know how much say he's going to have in his development but you hope that the offensive coordinator a 67 year old who's been you know he's had every job under the under the 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 sky you hope that he can sit here and have an impact on Tua and and have him become the player that we all hope and to me I think Chan Gailey is going to have a huge say in his development but I think it's going to be even more important what Ryan Fitzpatrick does. And we know his familiarity with this offense. We talked about it all offseason. He speaks it fluently. I think he's going to have, obviously, the biggest impact on Tua Tungvaluwa's development. But it's it's all about whether or not he can stay on the field and if he can pull it all together. And I think uh, all of us are pretty certain that Tua Tungvaluwa has the the football IQ to go out there and and process this offense and make those plays and, and find the open receivers and, you know, pinpoint accuracy. He just needs to stay healthy. Yeah, that's definitely the key. And, you know, you go back to Shan Gailey's time in New York. I still think it's incredible. I actually saw uh, my Facebook memories had a post the yesterday, I think it was. And it was basically this. Let me read it to you. Um, Pat's quarterback, it was when Tom Brady got suspended. Bill's quarterback, I said, what quarterback? Jets quarterback, punched by teammate, out three months. Dolphins quarterback, and it was talking about Ryan Tannehill, the breakout, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, that's a lot of depressing to talk about now. But the point is, uh, on August 11, 2015, uh, Geno Smith was supposed to be the quarterback under Chan Gailey. He got hurt. That's when Ryan Fitzpatrick walked right in and went 11-5. and So when Chan Gailey is talking about, you know, I want to play a big role, but we'll have to wait and see. We don't know how long Chan Gailey is going to be with the Dolphins. We don't know if he's grooming someone else, if it's only going to be a two-year thing and he's gone. But... And it could be as simple as Fitzpatrick walks in and plays like an 11-5 and player, right? That could just be the end of it. I mean, you hear about this team talking about how important it is to practice as you play. We're going to have the best players on the field. They're not going to start Tua just because he's the fifth overall pick, which, I mean, we're all excited. We want to see him. We want to see him perform well. But I think what Gailey is saying here is 
Fitzpatrick's a pretty damn good quarterback, and Chan Gailey knows that firsthand. You know, there's a reason he's been in the league for, you know, as, as a 37-year-old, the only player on the Dolphins above the age of 30. That just speaks so much volume about what this guy, how smart he is. Yes, we know about the inconsistencies, but he can be a damn good quarterback. He could be that 11-5 and guy, especially when you look at uh, the players he's going to be throwing to compared to those New York days, the running backs he finally has, the starting, maybe? bit of a building of an offensive line we're not really sure but I think that's really what it means is that it's gonna be up to Tua you know Chan hopes that you know Tua comes in and, and plays like a 12 and 4 quarterback if Ryan Fitzpatrick's 11 and 5 but it's just all a matter of time that's it's simply what it is and I think Chan is really putting that in a way where we can kind of understand that hey you know it could certainly happen but we're not gonna guarantee it yeah and I don't have the exact quote here but Chan in that same interview came out and basically said point blank, you know, I might not, not be here if Ron Fitzpatrick wasn't here. And, you know, having that player that you're very familiar with, and I think he even said, you know, even more familiar with, you know, this is kind of like a, you don't want to say a father and son, but it, it kind of is that way, it seems. And I think that they both understand this offense. They both understand what they got to do to have success in 2020. I think the thing that stuck out most in what you said is we don't know what this long-term thing is. You know, we, we had hoped that um, Jim Caldwell was here last year and could help develop, uh, you know, Josh Rosen or could help develop the future quarterback, whatever it is. You know, we, we don't know what happened there, but Jim Caldwell, besides the health scare, you know, he, he never came back to the team. The Dolphins wanted that veteran, a guy who has the experience, who can who Brian Flores can rely on, you know, who has some head coaching experience, who he can rely on if – if he has a question or he needs someone to, to kind of who's been through the process to lean on, I think that Chan Gailey is going to be that guy. And I think, you know, he wouldn't be here if Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't going to at least start. And I think that was the plan all along, you know, regardless of what happened with this 2020 season, Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to start and, you know, he's going to have that leash where as soon as he messes up, if two is ready. Another thing here is he also mentions how he's, they're not going to treat Tua like he's any different than anybody else. And we've kind of already seen that. I mean, the Dolphins aren't even showing you. Uh, I'm going to talk about this till they do it. We don't even have a picture of him in his uniform yet. You know, I think the Patriots put out a picture of Cam Newton in their uniform yesterday. They showed highlights of him rolling out and throwing passes today. The Dolphins aren't doing that. And I think they understand what they have with Tua. But even they, they seem to be taking a step back, you know, tempering, tempering things a little bit. So... This might be the Brian Flores way, and I know he was asked a question a few weeks ago about Tua, and he just kind of immediately threw it to the offense at, or the rookies as a whole. So it's kind of what we have to expect from here on out. And, you know, obviously, obviously the offense coordinator is going to have a huge say in Tua Tungvalu's development. How much say, that's yet to be determined. Exactly, exactly. Josh, you know, um, I enjoyed talking to you about this stuff. I think I'm selling myself. I mean, obviously, if you listen to the last 45 to 50 minutes, I mean, I'm sold on Flores. I'm I'm ready to buy in. And I guess the biggest concern is, and, and people are going to say to me, this is different. This is different. But I mean, we felt good after Joe Philbin's year one. We felt good about Tony Sperano year one, Gase year one. We, we felt really good about all these guys. Obviously, we can sit here and say this time is different, but I mean, we've done that too. But yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I'm, ex I'm excited about this. I, I'm buying into the Flores system. I think we... We are starting to understand what he's about. Like I said, I apologize. There was a lot of um, uh, pandemic talk, and, and you know, this is sports are kind of an escape for that. But I mean, it, it's it's a part of sports at this point. It is upsetting and and depressing as that is. It's it's definitely noteworthy and definitely worth talking about. But if you enjoyed what you're listening to, be sure to hit that subscribe button. 
Give us that five-star review. Leave a response. I mean, it helps us out so, so much. We we appreciate everything you guys do. You let us sit here and rant about the Dolphins uh, once and soon to be twice a week on a podcast. And for that, we say thank you. Football season is right around the corner. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. I am at jmendel31. Oh, my God. I'm... I'm going to start finding myself a dollar, and that's going to pay for our trip to Miami next year. JMendel94 and at H-O-U-T-Z, that's house. Uh, Josh, it's a pleasure talking to you today, buddy, and most importantly, uh, fins up. Have a good day, man. Fins up. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins. Cause we're the Miami Dolphins